Last week, we started a series called The End. Almost everybody is interested in the end, you know, Armageddon, all that kind of stuff. It just, people just kind of perk up. I can remember when I was a teenager in high school, I worked for a big plant nursery in the Miami area. And uh, you can get around some pretty rough kind of people working that sort of a job. But I can remember being out, you know, lunchtime would come. Everybody is sweaty. It's Miami, of course, in the summertime. And some of the language and the talk that was going on was pretty rough. And then somebody would mention the end time and Jesus and the return of Christ. And all those guys' wives and women went to church, you know. And it, it, it's strange how it would get silent. And all the dirty talk would end and all that kind of stuff would end because uh, people are interested in the fact that the world is going to end and Jesus is coming back. Even the pe people who don't believe in God understand that our universe is winding down. And they may put a billion or five billion or 10 billion years on it, but everybody knows the universe is not building. The universe is declining. Last week, we looked at some things that Jesus said about the end. And we looked at the way the apostle Peter described the end. But we spent most of our time looking at what the apostle Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, where he talked about those who had already died. They were saved. They belonged to God, but they had died and how that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to bring those people with him. And there's going to be a resurrection. There's going to be a rapture. We're all going to be with God forever. Next week, we're going to do the book of Revelation in 30 minutes or less. So uh, come back for that, but that's going to be a, a, a whiz bang whirlwind. But for today, today we're going to examine the end of you or your end time. Uh, whether you live to the end when Jesus returns for everyone or not, your life on this planet will end one day. Last week we talked about, by the way, some of the twos of that return of Christ in the end. Two births, natural birth, spiritual birth. Two deaths, natural death, spiritual death. Two resurrections, resurrection of life, the resurrection of judgment. Uh, two parts of Jesus' return when he comes in the clouds and takes us to be with him. Then when he comes back to the earth as king of kings and lord of lords. We're going to look at some of those things. I'm going to give you a quick timeline uh, at one point today. But let's start uh, with the words of Jesus in the last book of the Bible. The book of the Revelation, sometimes it's called the Revelation of St. John the Divine. But if you read the first line, it says the Revelation of Jesus Christ which he gave to John. So it is the revelation of Jesus Christ, many words of Jesus in the book of Revelation, but last chapter, last book of the Bible, verse 12, Jesus said this, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Now this specific reference is to that judgment of God that's, uh, uh, for Christians. We're gonna talk, it's called the judgment seat of Christ, and we're gonna talk about that in a few minutes. But then in verse 13, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. And the message that we get from that is this, Christ is before all creation. He will continue to exist after the creation. He is the eternal one. He was from the beginning. He is after the end. We can believe what he has to say. Now, as we talk about, one of the things we're going to talk about today is two final judgments. But I want you to realize two things before we get into that. The first thing is this. 
You don't make it to heaven based on your good works. Keep that in mind when we go through this. You don't make it to heaven based on your good works. There's nothing you can do that's good enough to get you into heaven. We're all sinners. We can only be made right by our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross to pay our sins, to give us the gift of eternal life, to make us children of God, to take us to heaven. Nothing you can do apart from Jesus uh, is good enough for heaven. Second thing is this. For those who are Christians, the way you live your life now determines how you will be rewarded in heaven. So it's important how you live. It's just not going to get you to heaven. Jesus gets you to heaven, but the way you live now will determine uh, how you face Jesus one day. Uh, and by the way, uh, it determines your blessings, your reward when you get to heaven, how you live now, but it also has a great, uh, a great effect on the blessings that you experience in life and how fulfilled you feel in this life. So for today, we're going to do, do two things. We're going to look at two judgments, and we're going to look at what's heaven going to be like, okay? There's a judgment, and then we're going to talk about heaven, and then we're going to talk about another judgment today. To start with, though, we're going to talk about the judgment of saved people that's called in the Scripture the judgment seat of Christ. Now, here's a definition of the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is the judgment of Christians, and it will take place after the resurrection of the dead in Christ. That's a phrase we got from the Apostle Paul last week. So the judgment seat of Christ. If you are a Christian, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are going to heaven. There is no doubt about that. But you're still going to stand before God one day to give an account of the way you've lived your life on this planet. Here's something that Jesus said. and He was attending a dinner party at the home of a prominent Jewish religious leader in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, so you've been repaid. You get nothing out of that. You know, you have them over for dinner, they have you over for dinner, that's your payment. Verse 13, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And verse 13, and verse 14, and you'll be blessed if you do that. Although they cannot repay you, notice what Jesus says, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus said there is a resurrection of the righteous, and that's when the righteous will receive the reward for the life that they've lived here on this earth. The Apostle Paul refers to this judgment in his second letter to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, the Apostle said this, Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. Paul said, as long as we're here, we're not there. That's, you know, as long as we're here, we're walking by faith because we can't see it. We're not walking by sight. We are confident, he said in verse 8. I say, and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Is that the way you feel about things? Most of us are okay being with the body, right? But the apostle Paul was talking about himself, and he, he said, we prefer it. We prefer uh, being with God right now and out of the body. So, verse 9, we make it our goal to please God, please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. Four, verse 10 says, we must all appear before, and there's that word, right? That, that phrase, the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. 
you're going to heaven if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, but you're still going to get some reward for the good things you've done, and you're going to lose something for the bad things you've done. Paul's a little bit more specific. I'm going to read a lot of Bible to you this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. In his first letter to the church at Corinth, the apostle Paul talked, he starts talking about uh, working for Christ like you're building a building. And he says this, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. Be careful how you're building the building. Verse 11, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12, if anyone builds on this foundation, using gold or silver or costly stones or wood or hay or straw. Now notice what's going to happen. Verse 13, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, what day are we talking about? The day of the judgment seat of Christ. The day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Fire is a metaphor for judgment. So, so whatever you've done, the life that you've lived, uh, will be shown for what it really is one day when we stand before God. Verse 14, if what he has built, we're all builders, if what he has built survives, the builder receives a reward. So if what you've done is for real, for God, uh, motivation of the heart right and that kind of thing, you'll re be rewarded for that. If it is burned up, if the fire of judgment consumes everything, nothing you've done has been worthwhile, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved. You're not going to hell. You're still going to be saved, even if your works get burned up, even though only as one escaping through the flames. It's kind of like you made it out of your house and it burned to the ground. You got nothing left. The smell of smoke is on you, but you're alive. And God says, that's what it's like. Paul said, that's what it's like through the judgment. Now, probably very few will get everything burned up and very few everything will be good, what they did. But, but there are rewards. And, you know, uh, I don't know, have you ever pictured judgment like this? God's got this jumbo screen and he's going to show a picture of every bad thing you ever did in your life. Ever get that? I was reading one guy, he said, if that's the way it's going to be, just send me on to hell now because I, I want everybody to have to see that. But uh, that's not really what judgment is like at all. You know, if you read, what, read this in other passages, what happens is that, is that if we stand before God, uh, it, it, there's joy if he can reward us for the good that we've done. And there's pain when he has to say, I had so much I wanted to give you, but I can't because you, you didn't do what you're supposed to do. It, it, you know, so it's not, gotcha. Look at these pictures. Look at all that. Remember when you were 18? Here's some pictures of you right here. No, that's not what judgment is like at all. It, 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 it's... I wanted to do so much for you, but I can't because of the life you live. The exact nature of rewards is difficult to determine. There's some, you know, different crowns that are mentioned in Scripture. We're not going to get into all that kind of stuff. Uh, there, there's a, a thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. We'll get into that in a minute. Uh, and there are places to rule and reign with Christ. And it appears that some uh, reward will be for eternity and pretty difficult to understand what that's all about. And uh, I'm not going to get into it, but I will read this, Matthew 5, 11. Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Verse 12, he said, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus said, in heaven, 
in eternity, there are going to be rewards that you will enjoy. I don't know exactly how that works, uh, but I, there's going to be distinctions even in eternity. That's kind of an interesting thought. Perhaps it would be helpful if we step back for a minute right here, and I gave you that timeline that I was talking about. Now, when I give a timeline for the end time, I'm always careful about being too specific, uh, and I'm suspicious, suspicious of those who think they know it all. As a matter of fact, if somebody thinks they know it all about the end time, just back off a little bit because they're probably making a lot of speculation. But here's the general timeline uh, accepted by most conservative Christians, Christians that believe the Bible is, is the, the revealed word of God. It starts with this. Uh, first thing is Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, chapter 24, there would be an increase of wars, an increase of conflict, racial conflict, and, and, and increase of natural disasters. We're seeing those kinds of things go on in our world today. And then the second thing, uh, and if, if Dave hits the, uh, the scroll button, it, it changes colors, isn't that, isn't that interesting? The coming of Jesus in the clouds, we looked at that last, uh, last week, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Jesus comes in the clouds. He brings with him the souls of the dead in Christ. The graves are opened. The resurrection takes place. The rapture, which is the catching away of everybody who's on this earth. And then the third thing, after this happens in heaven, there is the judgment seat of Christ, that last line down there. The judgment of Christians goes on in heaven uh, right after the rapture and the resurrection. And we're gonna talk, we, we, we'll be, we've been talking about that. And then on the earth, while we're caught up in heaven, on the earth there is this thing that Jesus called the great tribulation that's mentioned twice in the book of the Revelation. It's what most of the book of Revelation is about, the center part of the book. It's, it's the time of the Antichrist and the false prophet and the one world government and one world religion. It's the time of 666 and the mark of the beast and the four horsemen of the apocalypse and all that takes place in this great tribulation period, the culmination of wars and of natural and spiritual disaster of God's wrath on the earth. And then there's the return of Jesus to the earth. The first time he comes, he just comes in the clouds and takes us up. But the, his final return to the earth, he comes as king of kings and lord of lords. Uh, he, every eye will see him. He will come with his angels and with his saints, and he will fight this battle that's called the battle of Armageddon, the, the final battle between good and evil, uh, pictured in scripture as being on the plain of Jezreel, uh, beneath uh, an ancient city called Megiddo, which is where this Armageddon gets his, uh, gets his name. The, the beast who is Antichrist in the book of Revelation, the false prophet who's the worldwide religious leader in the book of Revelation are cast into this final place called the lake of fire. And Satan himself is bound for a thousand years and thrown into uh, what the book of Revelations calls the abyss. Uh, the King James Version calls it the bottomless pit. And that's what an abyss is. It's just a, uh, a void kind of a place. On the earth then will come the thousand year rule of peace by Jesus during this period of time where everybody and everything is going to get along. For you vegetarians, uh, probably we're all going to be vegetarians during that thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. There's not going to be any problem between husbands and wives and parents and children. Uh, scripture describes it as uh, wild animals and children being able to play together. 
the thousand-year reign of Christ. At the end of that thousand-year reign of Christ, Satan is loosed from the abyss. Uh, he marshals the, the forces of evil against God. Jesus destroys him immediately and casts him forever into this final place called the lake of fire, the lake of fire and sulfur, the lake of fire and brimstone. And then comes the great white throne judgment, which is the judgment of the unsaved, the resurrection of judgment, the second resurrection where death and Hades are cast into this final place called the lake or the sea of fire. And finally, at the bottom there is the new heaven and the new earth. We're going to talk about that just a little bit. So um, usually there's an outline in your bulletin. You could pick that stuff up, but the outline got so long I couldn't fit it in the bulletin today. So if you'd like any of that material, I'll print you one and, and send it to you. But there's a little timeline. Now we've talked about the first judgment, the judgment seat of Christ. The new heaven and the new earth is the last thing that I mentioned here. So let's talk a little bit about what heaven is like. What, what will it be like when we leave this place uh, and we go to, go to be with the Lord? Uh, when Brother Raymond C. passed away and we were in the room with him here some time back, uh, uh, Todd sent me a text message and he said, wonder what he's seeing right now. You know, when he's immediately in the presence of God, wonder what he's seeing right now. Heaven. Heaven is a, a general kind of a word, right? It can mean the atmosphere of our planet. It can mean the universe where the planets and the stars and the asteroids and all that other stuff that's out there. But it can also mean the place where God is. The Apostle Paul called this place the third heaven. He said about 14 years before he wrote this down, he said, uh, whether I was in the body or out of the body, I can't tell, but I was caught up into the third heaven and I saw some stuff up there. When we talk about that heaven, uh, it seems kind of boring, right? quite frankly, you know, because what do people do in heaven? Mm, they strum on a harp and float around on a cloud. Is that what you want to do? Doesn't sound like anything I want to do for all of my life, but nothing could be further from the truth. And by the way, let me say this. Uh, there is a temporary heaven. There's a place where when saved people die, their souls go. And they are there until Jesus brings them back with him uh, for the time of the resurrection. Uh, Jesus called that temporary place paradise. Uh, when he was hanging on the cross and there was a thief on in both si each side of him and they were cursing him, and one of them had a change of heart and looked at him and he, and he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, recorded in Luke's gospel, chapter 23 and verse 43, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Bodies stayed here on this earth, but their souls went to paradise. The apostle Paul claims to have seen this place in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 4, I, Paul, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell. It, it, that word is sometimes attached to the final place as well. In the book of Revelation chapter 6, now it's described as being, being beneath the altar of God in heaven. But the final place that we call heaven 
is described by, the, by Jesus to the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 21. This is the next to the last chapter in the Bible. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1. Uh, Paul, uh, John wrote this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I, I, I missed the part where uh, I, I was supposed to put up, or Dave probably did put up, God will establish a new heaven and a new earth, right? Missed my notes there. But uh, you, you see the scripture where there's a new heaven and there's a new earth. We were created, people were created to live on an earth. We weren't cr created to uh, float around on a cloud. We're not going to be ghosts or angels or spirits or anything like that. We're going to be people. And we're going to have bodies for all eternity. Adam and Eve lived on a perfect earth that was ruined by sin. God said he will create a new heaven and a new earth for us to live on for all eternity. If you can enjoy anything about this broken earth, and there's a lot about this broken earth that I can enjoy. There's a lot of beauty on this place that I can enjoy. I can go out at two o'clock on a Sunday afternoon in the blazing heat and play golf and enjoy it. If you can enjoy anything about this broken earth, you will enjoy everything about the new perfect planet. And while there's a description of God's original, a little description about this, the description of his original creation leads us to believe that there will be plenty to do. You're not going to just sit around wondering, what are we going to do next? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? There will always be things to do, probably work to do, but there will be no, uh, uh, only, there will only be joy involved in it. It will be breathtakingly beautiful. So God will establish a new heaven and a new earth. Secondly, on this new heaven and new earth, you will never suffer again. Never again. Nothing bad. Revelation 21, verse 4. He, God, will wipe away, wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. No more things that are the results of sin on this broken planet of ours. No more disease, no more hunger, no more thirst, no more divorce, no more loneliness, no death. Only the good will remain. Now, why can't God just do that right now? He's God, right? Well, he can't do it right now because sin, and we're sinners, sin has consequences beyond what we can see. Because to do away with death and pain and all the, the things we consider bad, we're not bad, but everything else is bad. All the things we consider bad, he'd have to get rid of us and all the other people that he loves on this planet because God is righteous and because sin requires a payment. And we should understand that. Sin requires payment. It's kind of like you get in a wreck with your car and you want to get it fixed. Somebody's going to pay for that. May not be you, maybe the other guy, maybe that good guy down at the garage who just says, I'm going to do this for you for free. But he got to pay. Who's going to buy those parts? Who's going to pay for the labor that's involved in it? God forgives us 
and he gives us his righteousness so that we can live for him forever and he's going to make everything right. But Jesus still had to come and pay the price of sin. And for right now, our loving Heavenly Father is waiting, giving each person on this planet the opportunity to receive him and to live with him forever. If he was to do away with it all, then the opportunity for eternal life would be gone. Well, I wish he'd come back before my loved one dies. I wish he'd come back and make it right before my job goes away. You know, I wish he'd come back. I told you the story last week about Gina and a lot of people in her situation who says, well, I wish he wouldn't come back until after I get married. You know, I'd like to get this done in my life. I'm looking forward to, and then Jesus can come back. Uh, and, but a lot of us say, I, I wish he'd come back uh, before this happens. I wish he would come back before something else bad happens. And you know what? Christians have felt that way for centuries. I want to read you the last two verses in the Bible. The last two verses of the last book, last chapter in Scripture. Revelation 22, verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. That's Jesus. Jesus says, yes, I am coming soon. John, as a commentary, he says, amen. <laughs> come, Lord Jesus, come now. John is in a He's on an island called Patmos. He's in a cave because he's been sent there uh, by the Roman government. Uh, he's not having th things go well in his life. And he's saying, amen. Jesus says, I'm coming back soon. And he says, come on now. But in the last verse of scripture, he says this. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Until he does come back. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people, amen. New heaven and new earth be created by God. You'll never suffer there. And one more thing about that place, you'll live with God forever. You and God together forever, can't imagine. We were talking in our class this morning at nine o'clock uh, about how wonderful our human relationships are. You know, husbands and wives and sons and daughters and mothers and fathers and good friends and all that kind of stuff. That's what makes life worth living is, is our relationships. Uh, that's going to be so much better in heaven that it's unimaginable. Here's what Jesus revealed to John. Revelation 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be there God. That's the way God created things in the beginning. We were made to be in the presence of God, to be loved by God, to live with him every hour of the day. For the vast majority of us, it's, it's the people we're around that make the place we are important to us. It's not the weather and, and the possibility of natural disaster or not. It's who lives around me. And God's presence is going to make heaven home for us. But the only ones going to that place are those who have trusted Jesus. Others will not. They'll not be involved. They're not involved in the second birth, the spiritual birth. They're going to miss out on that first judgment. They're going to be present at the last judgment. And so let's look at this one very quickly, the great white throne judgment. I'm an odd name, right? Some of this stuff really sounds crazy. I know. I know it does. I said last week, uh, <clears throat> sounds kind of weird, unnatural. 
Uh, and it is. But people like weird for the most part, except, again, when it's religious. Let me give you a definition of the great white throne judgment. This is the final judgment, the last of all judgments, and it's only for those who have rejected God. No Christians, no believers are going to be present at the great white throne judgment. We're already in heaven by the time this takes place, right? But here's how Jesus revealed it to John. The book of Revelation, chapter 20, verse 11. John says, then I saw a great white throne. That's why we call it the great white throne judgment, right? <laughs> then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence. There was no place for them. I don't know where this is because the earth is not there and the heavens are, it's like a void, some place that we don't know anything about. Uh, but here is this great white throne. And he says in verse 10, I saw the dead. Now this would be the spiritually dead. I saw the dead small and great, the unimportant and the important standing before the throne. And books were open. So there's some books and another book. And there's one book all by itself, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So over here in the books, just as the saved are rewarded based on how they live their life, uh, so there's some eternal things about the, those who reject God and the way they lived their life. Verse 13, the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the dead and death and hell gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Verse 14 says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. That's the final hell, the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. That's spiritual death. That's separation from God for all eternity. Verse 15 says, and anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Why are people thrown into the lake of fire? No, <clears throat> it's because their name is not written in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. How do you get your name in the Lamb's book of life? By trusting Jesus as your Savior. That's how, that's how it gets written down there. It, that's what's based. So there's the book. And the ones who are thrown into the final hell are those whose names are not in the book. But their lives are also judged by how they lived. And that's going to affect how they die for eternity. Just, just as it affects how you will live for eternity in the presence of God. Wow. Hell. For all eternity. So, so final. So severe. So unthinkable. Some might say... I don't like that idea. It doesn't seem fair to me. You understand that? Have you ever known of somebody who hurt somebody else really severely, murdered somebody, abused some child, uh, involved in, in child trafficking, human trafficking? Uh, have you ever heard about anything like that and yet they got away with it? They were not held accountable for this awful, awful, awful thing they had done. What was your reaction? That's not fair. That's not right. That person needs to pay for what he or she has done. And that's exactly what happens at the great white throne judgment. Everyone for whom God waited, but they rejecting him. Everyone for whom God is waiting right now but they refused him 
will be held accountable and will pay the price of their sin. The only thing is, it's an eternal, eternal payment plan. You never can get this paid off. Credit cards are not quite that way. You can die and get away from a credit card, but you can't get away from this way. That's not only fair, that's justice. I'll tell you what's not fair. What's not fair is that the perfect Son of God left heaven and came to this earth, was born to be a human being and died for our sins so that we could spend eternity being loved by him. That's not fair. What's not fair is that we don't have to spend eternity in hell. Even though we're sinners, we don't have to do that because Jesus came and died for us. That's why it's called the gospel. The word gospel means good news. The gospel says Jesus came and died for your sin. All you do is accept it, receive him. And you'll spend eternity being loved by him. And what you do on this earth, you can honor him. You can bring blessings. You can have eternal reward. But getting to heaven, that's all on him and not on you. So what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Have you trusted Jesus to save you from your sins and to take you into God's family, to take you eternally into heaven? You know that you're a sinner. I know that I am. And I, I, I've, come to, I've come to realize after the years I've lived on this planet that we have a lot of stuff in common. And that's one of them. We all know what we are. So have you trusted Jesus as your Savior so that he can love you throughout all eternity? And the second thing is this. If you have done that, are you interested in living a life on this earth that is worthy of reward in heaven? Or do you always want to do everything, you want to make everything about you and about your comfort and about your convenience and about what makes you happy? Nothing wrong with comfort, convenience, and happiness, by the way, but that's not the most, those aren't the most important things on this planet. The most important thing is doing the things that God wants us to do. So if you are a Christian, if you are saved, if you're born into God's family, how, whatever terminology you want to use for that, are you interested in living a life on earth that is worthy of reward in heaven? I am. I don't do it all the time, but I'm interested. Uh, if you'd like some help with either one of those things, uh, you know, I think the welcome card's already been mentioned. You could write on that. I need a little help. I'd, I'd like to know more about becoming a part of God's family. I'd like to know more about what it takes to live on this planet in such a way that I'll be rewarded by God. Drop that in the box back there and we'll contact you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for Jesus and the gift of eternal life. This whole end time stuff seems kind of weird, kind of complicated, <clears throat> and it is. But we know you're coming back for us and we take solace, we take pride, we take comfort in knowing that you'll be here. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.